So we were in every retail store at one point. I mean, everyone from Bergdorf's, Harrods, Saks, Neiman's, like everybody you can think of. And then when the pandemic hit in 2020, basically all the retailers canceled their orders. And we had already paid for the production for them and everything. And they were just like, we're sorry, like nothing's selling. We can't take any of it. So it had put us in like a scary place. And so we decided, okay, like we can't be put in this position again. And we're going to go D to C right now and only sell on our own site. And it ended up being the best thing that could have ever happened to us. We've been just D to C for the past two years and we've had like our best two years by far. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's like, Sometimes things happen and you you think like, oh, no, this is going to be a catastrophe. And it ends up surprising you in the best way. Welcome to the Glam and Grow podcast. I'm your host, Takara Suet, head of partnerships at Wavebreak. On this show, we talk with leaders of beauty, fashion and lifestyle brands. We dive into their stories, lessons learned and perspectives on how the industry is ever evolving. Subscribe and join us each week as we glam and grow. So joining me today is Shay Marie, CEO and founder of The Feelist, Same and Social Media Maven. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you so much. I love your podcast. I've really been listening to it a lot lately, especially like on the plane and while I was traveling. Thank you so much. Well, I'm sure this is going to be a great episode. So I'm so excited that you're here. So as an entrepreneur, creative director, and huge influencer, you have built two incredible brands, The Feelist and Same. So before we dive into the brand and and how you got here today, tell me a bit about your background. Yeah. So I guess it's safe to say I'm like one of the kind of OG influencers. I've been influencing for probably over 12 years now. A really long time. And mainly I was in the fashion space, but really it, you know, was going across all industries like beauty, travel, lifestyle. And over the past 10 years, I've worked with every major brand. And, you know, before that, I, you know, I graduated college and I kind of had started a website to help me get a job because I didn't have any connections. I grew up in a small little country town and I had these big dreams, but like nowhere to get there. So I thought I was like, what if I make a website and it might help me get a job and it's going to be like an online magazine. I didn't even know what a blog was at this time. So it was like in, you know, 2010, maybe 2009. And yeah, so I started this website that eventually became a blog and I was posting inspiration, things I loved kind of across the fashion and beauty spaces. And then I started incorporating photos of myself and what I was wearing. And mainly it was like vintage thrift shops finds because I didn't have any money to buy clothes. I was like spending my weekends, you know, vintage shopping. And it was kind of like Instagram before Instagram almost. And then when Instagram started, a lot of the people who were reading my blog followed me over to Instagram. And at that time, you know, I think my site was getting at times a million views a day, like really kind of insane numbers. And I was starting to work with really big brands. And then when Instagram launched, like I said, a lot of people followed me there. And then I kind of started focusing more on Instagram and not as much on my website. And that was really when I decided, okay, I need to build something more long lasting because social media changes so fast. And 
things are going to just come and go. And I want to build something long lasting. So that's really, you know, when I started building same it was probably a, a year or two after I really got kind of involved in Instagram. That's so smart. So you really saw the vision for kind of what was to come. Yeah. And I've always felt that being an influencer is not enough. Like you have to, there has to be a bigger goal. And so I think from early on, I I really felt that. And then back when I, you know, started working on same in 2014, and we launched in 2015, there weren't a lot of influencers who had brands then, you know, I, I didn't have a background in business. So I was kind of just figuring it out as I went and obviously made a lot of mistakes and I've learned a lot over the past seven years, but it was very much like uncharted territory. Okay. So I'm already super inspired by your entrepreneurial spirit. So going back even to the beginning, cause I can't be the only one thinking this when you initially had the idea to start the website to help you get a job, did, did you see somebody else doing that? Or did you just think of that? There were a couple girls online for sure that I had seen. There was this website actually before Instagram. It was called lookbook.new. And you could post one photo a day of what you were wearing and people would rate it. And I don't even remember how I found it, but I was obsessed with it. And there were, you know, the people who were popular on there at the time, there was a couple other girls like Kiara, Fragni, Ami Song. And like, and so I started posting on there. And there was like 10 of us that were like the most popular people on this site. And it really kind of was Instagram before Instagram. And then I think really what, you know, made me think this is going to become something bigger. And like, I have to stick with this and I have to take it seriously. People were making fun of me. They were like, wait, you're posting photos of what you're wearing on the internet. And you have someone out taking photos of you. And then you're going home and uploading them through like these old, old chip cards. And, you know, it was, it was really different back then. There wasn't like camera phones. Yeah. But I felt like it was going to be something big. I think it really is a testament though, to your vision. Like, you know, when people will sort of hate on influencers, it's like, I don't think they see that part of it, right? Like you had the vision that this was going to be something bigger and it's amazing. So I think, I think you're very much on the pulse from the brand perspective as well. So so let's talk about same. I became familiar with the brand maybe about a year or two ago. I feel like the chain link bathing suit is everywhere. I absolutely love it. So for anyone listening, who's not familiar with same, tell me about it. Same is my swimwear brand. So we also do knitwear as well and some active wear. It's luxury swim. We launched in 2015. And at that time, swimwear was there weren't a lot of swimwear brands and swimwear was kind of meant to be covered up. I really wanted to create a swimwear brand that was very fashion forward. There were like statement pieces that you could wear on your own that were meant to be seen. And so I had a friend who had a swimwear factory and I went to him with some sketches. Great and I, friend. Like, I have this idea that hasn't, I mean, and he was doing, you know, for the most part, kind of very simple, basic, you know, swimwear that was kind of what was popular at the time. And I was like, I have this idea. I, can we create this? I don't think it's been done before. I want to create swimwear that is like a fashion statement. And we created this suit, which was our first suit in 2015. And it had this very 
sorry, blanking on the word, but like very obvious triangular stitching in multiple colors. That was the idea was kind of like when someone sees this suit, they're going to know what brand it is. And because Instagram was getting so popular at this point, I was like, I want so that when someone posts a picture, people don't need to look for the tag or look for the writing. They just know I know what that suit is because I've never seen it. Yeah. So, and we did that. And within, you know, we, we literally rolled a suitcase around New York city, (laughs) like a little suitcase to buyer meetings, like him and I, and, you know, one employee that we had, and we were like, you know, we've created this and everybody wanted it off the bat. And within six months, like all the biggest celebrities were wearing it. And we didn't have a PR team. We weren't gifting this out to anybody. Like stylists were buying it themselves from stores that were carrying it or ordering it online for their clients. And it really happened in within the first year that like same was really on the map as like a swimwear brand to watch. And then pretty consistently since then, I would say we've we've launched some of the biggest swimwear trends for sure over the past decade. I, I would say every year we come up at least with one major thing that becomes kind of a huge, huge trend in the space. And so I think people look to us to be, you know, very, very trend setting and fashion forward and high quality. And then so first off, going back to that time, did it take a lot of convincing for your friend? Like, did you go to him with a business plan or it was just sort of this like organic collaboration? It didn't take a lot of convincing. He was you know, doing manufacturing for a lot of other swimwear brands. And I think that he was in the place where he wanted to start something of his own as well. And he trusted me and trusted my vision and my aesthetic and, you know, my built-in following that was obviously going to help a lot of people who had swimmer brands back then didn't necessarily have that. So yeah. I think he was, he was on board from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, so going from then till now, have you sort of had like the same team from the beginning or, or what does that look like? Yeah, we, I mean, we, we really do have like the same core team. We've always produced our swimwear in Los Angeles, which is something that was important to me but has become less and less, it has become harder and harder over the years, to be honest, as all swimwear now is being made overseas. It's so expensive to do it in the US. I never wanted to move our production. I never say never what will happen in the future. I never wanted to move our production to China. I didn't want to do that. We've been looking into other options right now. We are most likely going to move some of our production to Colombia, which I love. I've been going to Colombia a lot lately and it's amazing. And their their working environments are great. The craftsmanship is incredible. They're really known for swimwear and like they make textiles there and it's really amazing. So sorry if I went off on a tangent. No, no, I think that's a lot of... (laughs) I respect so much the brands that do manufacture in the U.S., but it's really a challenge. And then also to like convince people of, you know, paying a higher price point can be very challenging. So, I mean, I give you a lot of credit for continuing to do that while, you know, a lot of people have kind of sold out. So we were in every retail store at one point. I mean, everyone from Bergdorf's, Harrods, Saks, Neiman's, like everybody you can think of. And then... When the pandemic hit in 2020, basically all the retailers canceled their orders and we had already paid for the production for them and everything. And they were just like, we're sorry, like nothing's selling. We can't take any of it. So 
it had put us in like a scary place. And so we decided, okay, like we can't be put in this position again and we're going to go D to C right now and only sell on our own site. And it ended up being the best thing that could have ever happened to us. We've been just D to C for the past two years and we've had like our best two years by far. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's like, Sometimes things happen and you you think like, oh, no, this is going to be a catastrophe and it ends up surprising you in the best way. Why do you say it was the best thing? Because before we were so focused on meeting buyers demands and meeting deadlines and showing collections at a certain time and preparing a year or even further in advance. And it was always newness, newness, newness. Mm -hmm. And what I've learned is that like, it takes a while for when a trend catches on in our circles, maybe in the like fashion beauty circles for then it really to catch on throughout the world. And so that, that takes more than just one season. So what was happening was we would design something, it would do really well, and then we would be forced to create something new just for newness and didn't really give it like the lifespan I think that it deserved. And now we have so much more flexibility. We are like designing stuff and dropping new stuff every month because we don't have to meet anyone else's buying timelines. And I think I think the industry has changed a lot in general because we have kind of reopened the conversations with several retailers and just explained to them like, look, this is kind of how we operate now as a business model. And it works really, really well for us. We aren't planning a year and a half out in advance. We are doing smaller drops more frequently and we are keeping styles that are selling incredibly and we're rolling them over for season after season and then not marking them down 50% off just because it's like end of summer sale at the big retailers. So I think when we do go back into retail and, you know, we're very lucky because we have so much interest that it's going to be a lot more with strategic partners who kind of align with our terms and our vision. And yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. It's sort of like the brands have taken control back. Even when you probably thought you were completely out of control, it's actually been the opposite. A hundred percent. And I think It also kind of gave us, I guess, some confidence because there were so many times where it was like, oh, we like this collection, but you're missing this, this and this. And then we rushed to design something and it wasn't us. And then we ended up with all these things that we were like, this wasn't, you know, we did this for other people, not not for like our brand. And then, yeah, you're right. We took we kind of got to take the control back. And I think it's just, you know, gave us the confidence that we know what people like and we're we're doing the right thing. Yeah. And like as a a creative director from a design standpoint, do you think now you also have like more freedom and inspiration to just essentially really do what you want? Absolutely. You know, we were working with a a sales team before and they would send us kind of guidelines of what buyers were looking for, especially like the big store buyers, like they're looking for this this season. So then you would in turn try to like add that into your designs. And for me, like, you know, I want to design what I love and what what I want to create. I don't want, you know, I didn't I didn't start to do this so that other people could tell me what we needed to design. So, yeah, I think it's been really good. And then the fact that the brand has done so well with just, you know, being D to C is kind of, I think, a testament to our teams, you know, just having, I guess, the pulse of what's, you know, trendy or cool or up and coming. Yeah, definitely. 
So fast forwarding to the Feelist, this was the second brand that you launched in August, 2020. Also feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but I feel like there are very few influencers, if anybody else that I've definitely not that I've spoken to who have two brands and not like collabs or, you know, one-off collections, but two actual brands also in two different categories. So before we dive into the Feelist, how do you manage your time? And is it kind of split 50-50? Well, I wouldn't wish this upon my worst enemy and I wouldn't suggest <laughs> anyone to do it. It is a lot of work and I love it and I love what I do and I'm so grateful, but there's not a day that goes by that I'm like, how did I get myself into so much work? Like how? The feelist is based on the East Coast and same is based on the West Coast. So it does help in the in the sense that like I have a good like three hours in the morning with the feelist before anyone from same is even like awaken at work. And then at the end of the day, like with the feelist, I have like three solid hours to dedicate to same, but it does leave me working 9am to 9pm on a daily basis at the, at the least. Right. Before we dive into anything else, how do you make sure you don't burn yourself out? That, yeah, I do. I think, you know, I've really, I was doing so much in the past as an influencer and working for so many other brands and doing, you know, so much sponsored content, styling for other brands, event appearances, fashion weeks, all this and that. And I, that really is what has taken a, a backseat to my brands because it's just, it's physically impossible for me to do anymore. Yeah. I don't do as many like Instagram brand collabs as I used to do because I just don't have the time. So I, when I just went on this trip, it was kind of like the first thing that I had done like that really in maybe like a year. And I was like, it was nice, but I was also like, now I'm so far behind. It is a lot of work and you have to be willing, even for just one brand, you have to be willing to dedicate your life to it. And there definitely are easier ways to go about it, especially for somebody who has a big following, whether there's an influencer or a celebrity. And a lot of celebrities do choose to go about it this way. They license their name. They, co they come on just as like a small creative role. I'm definitely someone who has always wanted to be involved in everything and like have built both the brands from the ground up. And I didn't take on a partner where I was like, okay, I'm just going to do the design and let you use my name. Like, no, I've done absolutely everything. I don't know that that was like the smartest way to do it because yeah, I do think that I burn myself out a lot, but I'm also very particular and I, I would never, I think something that's really important about me, even as an influencer is that like my community really trusts me. I would never sell something that I didn't believe in a hundred percent. So just lending my name or my face to something would never work just for someone like me because like I could never, I would never sell something that I didn't use yeah. every day as part of my normal life. And if you don't believe in your brand, nobody else is going to believe in it either. Consumers are so intelligent these days. Like they're more savvy than ever. They understand how celebrity endorsements work. And like, they're not buying the gimmicks of the past as much, you know? Yeah, definitely. I think, I think the trend of just buying, you know, because you like somebody or I, I think that's definitely died down. So you really have to have the right product behind the brand. 
A hundred percent. And I've never been the face of either of my brands. That's always been something that's really important to me. I also think that that's something that's not very common in either the influencer or talent celebrity space. Usually the influencer is always kind of the face of their brand, but I always wanted everything to stand alone without me. So a lot of people don't even, unless they follow me like on a regular basis, they all, they don't even know that I'm involved in the feelist. I'm not the face of it. Like I post about it on my Instagram and you know, if you did research, you could probably figure it out. I want always wanted to create brands that stand alone because they're incredible. The products are incredible with or without me. Yeah. So segueing into that topic, I was going to get to that a little bit later, but did that association concern you? Like, was that something you were very mindful of going into building the feelist? Like how, how do you balance your brands and you know, posting, but not being too salesy, so to speak, or promotional. Yeah, that's something I, I struggle with all the time. I think that when you really, truly love your products, and you know, everything about them, it comes off as more genuine. And like I have done for the feelist, I have I have been in there for hours in the lab, like literally on the ground. I know everything about ingredients. I've spent the past, I mean, I really started working on this like four years ago. I spent the past four years teaching myself about really chemistry almost. And I think that when, you know, when when people talk to me or when I talk about the brand, it, it's very apparent that this is more than just some kind of endorsement, you know? Yeah. So the Feelis launched, like I mentioned in August, 2020. So that was going to be my next question. Was this something that was born out of an inspiration by the pandemic to launch a wellness brand? So obviously the answer to that is no. So how did COVID <laughs> affect the launch? Like I, I'm sure your timing must've been, or, or, di- or did it just go on the same? So I started real, like I started working on this project in 2018. And I think what a lot of people don't know about kind of skincare and beauty industry is if you're creating products from scratch, like formulas that you're developing completely from scratch, it takes about two years from start to finish until you start with a concept until you actually have a finished product that's ready to be sold. All the testing and the regulations and everything that you have to go through and just the packaging design development, like it takes a really long time. I'm sure that there's the, there are these like incubator companies now that do help brands launch faster, but I didn't have any of that kind of help. So it really was kind of like piecing the puzzle together. I wanted to get, I, I mean, I've been working in beauty for a long time, even though I, I would say I was a little bit more involved in fashion. Most of my jobs as an influencer over the past 10 years, like most of my money came from beauty brands because the beauty brands are really the ones that had like the bigger digital marketing budgets. They had more money. So I really was able to try every beauty product and offering under the sun over the past 10 years. And I was getting sent all the products and I kind of got forced into the, I guess, like the natural, clean, organic space wasn't something I was trying to do, but I have extremely, extremely sensitive skin. And I think it was like a combo of having access to too much. Like I never had like the money in my life to be able to buy all these fancy beauty products. And then I was being sent like $500 creams and serums. And I was just like lathering everything thing on just my skin was just like 
it was basically I had like a rash that just would never go away. And so I started, you know, researching, experimenting with all these different, more holistic skincare treatments. This would probably be like 2017, 2016. And I mean, they were not cute. Let's just be real. It was very brown paper bag type packaging, you know, and I'm, I was known for like my beautiful shelfies and like the beautiful Chanel packaging on my top shelf. But really, I was like hiding away these products that I was using that were good for my extremely sensitive skin in like the very back where you couldn't see them in the photo. And so I was like, I kind of had this idea for a while. I was like, I want to create a plant powered skincare brand that doesn't look plant powered. It's not green packaging. It's not hemp paper. It's not called brother buds or something like I, was like, <laughs> I, wanted to, I want it to feel luxe and beautiful. I want it to be able to sit next to your designer brand skincare, but I also want it to be affordable. So everything that we sell is under a hundred dollars. Our serum, it's $68, but it is like comparable slash, in my opinion, even better than $300 serums on the market. And I know that because I've been there in those manufacturing facilities that are creating these brands products. And I see the markups and I honestly like as someone who I guess wasn't so much in the the back end of the industry, I was blown away really and truly at the, at the cost of the formulas to what brands were charging for them. And something can be done here. We can bring plant powered, clean, natural products that look really luxurious to the market, but also make them affordable because people care, care now about what things look like. Everything from, you know, your toothbrush to your house is photographed. So aesthetic is, is so important. And I think when in designing the brand, you know, we also wanted it to be timeless, which I think is nice compared to the very like baby pinks and baby blues that have maybe dominated the the beauty or skincare industry over the past few years. So I kind of wanted something that wasn't going to be trendy, but more timeless. Yeah. I think the packaging really reflects your style and taste for sure. Like the aesthetic is amazing from a design perspective, your inspiration, you would say was some of the more like, essentially you were trying to almost combine like plant-based fashion and like affordability. Exactly. And we had this saying that we kind of used from the beginning of the brand. I know now the word clean kind of gets a bad rep. I don't know, but it was clean doesn't have to be boring. And it was the idea that like a brand can be plant-based, it can be natural, it can be clean, but it doesn't have to look that way. That was kind of our idea in building the branding. We've been very eco-conscious. So in terms of our packaging choices, we use like aluminum tubes instead of plastic. We're using glass bottles for our oils and our serums. Our secondary packaging boxes are not only just recyclable, but they're also compostable, which takes it to another level. And we don't do any like extra gimmicks. I spent so many years being gifted every beauty package from every brand and like the stuff I'm sure you've seen it too, but the stuff that I've received, one lipstick in four feet tall that has a TV screen in it that you throw away. Like the string that just goes everywhere. I hate that. That's the worst. I was like, we're we're never going to be that brand. We're never going to be that brand that's doing wasteful gimmicks, wasteful marketing 
that was just, it's always been something that really, really bothered me. So we're, we're very, very mindful of that. And it's hard to do that as a new brand. I mean, first of all, it takes an incredible amount of money to start a skincare brand. It is not at all easy to do unless you have money or connection. And so to try to also keep sustainability in mind and, and all these things that cost even more money than standard yeah. packaging is, is hard. Here's a fun fact. Over 81% of consumers are opted into text messages from their favorite brands. They're finding out first about limited time offers, new products, and they're having two-way conversations, all via text messaging. And that, my friends, is where Attentive comes in. Attentive is a personalized text messaging platform that lets you grow your SMS subscriber list, interact with customers in real time, and unlock a new source of revenue. With tons of best practices built in, Attentive makes sure your audience stays engaged too. Thousands of innovative brands like CB2, Pura Vida, and Coach have created magical customer experiences and driven millions in online revenue using Attentive-powered text messages. Meet your secret weapon to cut through the clutter, grow brand love, and drive more sales. Relevant, engaging, mobile first. That's Attentive. See what they can do for you at attentivemobile.com slash wavebreak. Attentive, drive sales with text message marketing. So let's talk about funding. Are you completely bootstrapped or did you bring in a partner? I have a few business partners who put in a little bit of money in the beginning. So kind of the idea that I had is to start a skincare brand, you have to have one of three things you either have to have a major, major connection. Like I'm talking like your dad's the CEO of you have to have a lot of money yeah. or you have to raise a lot of money. So I didn't have the first two. The number could even be higher now, but to even get a skincare beauty brand off the ground, you have to have a million dollars. Really? Wow. Um, you really say that much. Yes. A hundred percent. And because, I mean, I'm sure there are ways to go about it, but if you want to work with the best manufacturers and you want to work with people who are really at the top of their field, they don't want to work with like a small little nobody who's going to order 500 units when yeah. they have clients that are ordering hundreds of thousands of and millions of units. It's not even that you're pitching yourself to investors to raise money. You're almost pitching yourself to manufacturers like believe in my idea. I know that we can't order that much right now. And I know that like our minimums or our minimum orders are going to be really low compared to what you're used to, but we can be this and we're going to be this. So work with us now so that we can be partners when we grow. But it's not easy to get people on board like that because they're being pitched that kind of stuff every day. I'm sure. Um, so how challenging was it to find the right manufacturing partner? And, and did you have to convince them? It was really challenging. You know, we, we have several manufacturing partners, one that is kind of like our main one now who actually didn't want to work with us when I first went to them. And it wasn't until after we launched our first product that they reached back out and were like, yeah. we love what you're doing. Like, this is beautiful. We ordered your product. It's incredible. We take wow. back what we said and we want to work with you. 
And I get it. Like I wasn't offended. You know, I understand that so many people come to these manufacturers every day. Like I have an idea and they're just like inundated with, you know, small brands wanting to order. They just can't. You're kind of pitching yourself to a lot of people. And even with uh, when you're doing your packaging, these companies are so busy and especially COVID backed everything up. So now it's even harder. But right now, like lead times for certain components can be with the ports being backed up and shipping. They can be they can quote you a year out and you can't sustain a brand with a year long lead time, like no retailer is going to want to work with you like that. But when you're a small guy ordering small units, you have no leverage to be like, well, I'm going to take my business elsewhere. They're like, see ya. And were you physically going there in person having these conversations? Yeah, we do manufacture a few components overseas, but a lot of times there is kind of like a third party in the middle that helps us with that. But yeah, you have to be on top of people every single day because when you're a small little company, like you get pushed to the back of the line over and over and over. And it takes it takes even longer. And it isn't really till you start kind of building up the brand a little bit to where I think you get a little more respect. But But even that being said, you still have, if you want to work with a big manufacturer, even if they're going to give you kind of a deal, you still have to order, you know, like 10,000 units for an opening order of a product. So, and if you're trying to launch with, you know, three products, that's 30,000 units, costs a certain amount, the components cost a certain amount, you're looking at hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in production that someone has to come up with upfront. You also need to like market yourself. You have to even if you're like, I'm, I'm really good in terms of design and all that, but I am not a graphic designer. I can't turn my ideas in my head into, into actual packaging that's ready to be printed. So you have to hire people to do all these things. So it is very, very expensive. And what I, I don't know if this is the correct way. No one no kind of told me it's just been me figuring it all out on my own. But what I did was I made a really incredible business plan and I did the branding first and the first a little amount little bit amount of money that me and you know a few friends put in went to branding and kind of building building the brand and that's what we really sold to other investors where we raised the rest of the money to be able to pay for production and all that but it doesn't end there right so we really didn't launch until the end of 2020 by the time with you know all the covid backups and everything and so you know we're we've had the first year and a half or so now even though we've had a really successful year it's been incredible um we we're still not in retail we're only d2c we've talked to nearly every retailer but that's like a whole another hurdle in itself because the amount that retailers want to start ordering, someone has to pay for that in advance. So then you find yourself back in the position where you have to raise more money and it kind of doesn't end. Yeah. And then do you have an operations person supporting you? Like, are they helping you with forecasting during this very tumultuous time? Yes. So we have a COO. She's amazing. And she's my really good friend. So it's nice. We kind of, you know, work side by side each other. And she really is running all the operations and the day to day of the brand. And 
it's been a lot of her and I kind of piecing it together. She worked for a fragrance brand before, so she had a lot more knowledge than than I did in terms of certain things of production and packaging and all this, which has been really helpful for us because it, you don't realize like one product you could be between like say the tube, the cap, the formula, the ingredients, the fragrance, the box, the shipping box, the labels, the these are all coming from different places yeah. and different people. So like one product can have 15 different suppliers or even more. Wow. Um, and it's a lot, it's a lot to manage. But when you're a small team, you don't have the money or the resources to hire a bunch of employees. So like everyone is just like working morning to night trying to make it happen. But as you grow, you meet more people. And as people see your brand and they see like the incredible press and the incredible reviews and the awards you're winning, it's funny because like more and more people come out of the woodworks and be and are like, hey, I think I have this company. I think I could help you. And where were you the past four years? This is amazing. But at the same time, it was like they didn't want to work with us then because they don't want to work with you until they see potential, right? Yeah. No, I was going to say, talking about the actual products, the Radiant face oil is incredible. I've been using it for about a month. I'm not sure which products won awards, but what would you say is your hero product or the product you're most proud of? The oil is definitely our hero product. I think it really is what put us on the map as a skincare brand to watch. We called it the the face oil for people who can't use face oil. And I think because face oils have typically had this reputation of being bad for people with sensitive and acne prone skin. And so, you know, we came up with this formula that we loved and we were obsessed with. And we were like, we want to go after, you know, most brands, they go after their easiest customer. And we were like, we want to go after our hardest customer first. And the face oil does have CBD in it, which has been a whole other hurdle in itself for many reasons. But it is an ingredient that I believe in in skincare in terms of helping with sensitive skin, redness, acne, rosacea. So I think that has really, it's such a powerful ingredient in the product and that with the other oil blends in there that really, we worked really hard with these incredible chemists to make the oil perfectly kind of mimic the pH of your skin so that it wouldn't like throw anything out of balance. And it really has made people who hated face oils become believers in face oils and the reviews and the testimony testimonials that we've received are incredible. And it's won awards and we love the product so much, but you never know, like, is it going to work for the same for other people? Are other people going to love it as much as you love it? Like our team loved it. We did trials and we did samples with, you know, s- small groups, a hundred people here and there. And so we, we had an idea that like it was going to be well loved, but you know, you're never sure. You're like, are these people just telling you they love it? <laughs> but it really put us on the map, I think, as a brand to watch because it did change a lot of people's skin and, I think it really made a lot of people believe that, you know, face oils are also for sensitive skin and for acne prone skin. Yeah, definitely. I think skincare is such a personal, personal thing. Briefly discussing CBD and sourcing CBD. I feel like there are so many regulations um, as well as subpar ingredients or a lot of like fake CBD products or however, maybe you could describe it better. Was this the most difficult ingredient to source and, and how did you best go about that? 
it's so difficult that I don't even like talking about it anymore because <laughs> okay. we're at the point, no, no, I'll tell, I'll tell you some stuff, but we're at the point where finally, like a lot of the headache around it is gone and we have it all figured out and we have an incredible manufacturer, but it was, it, it was so hard because it's like an unregulated market. The legalities are still like a gray area. It has made everything impossible for us, even from like a, a selling standpoint, because you can't just, even if you only sell one product with CBD, you can't just sell on Shopify. You have to have a bank that will run credit card payments for a CBD product. And, you know, Shopify doesn't do that. And so then you have to go and you have to reach out and try to find a, a you know, bank that's going to back you basically. And that's not easy to do at all, especially during a time when there was like this, like, CBD boom where everyone who had access to it was trying to start a brand and there are all these companies that were just white labeling products and it was ingredient that's unregulated. It's like banks were just like, uh-uh, like I'm staying away from this. Like it's not worth it. I can't believe have- that's the case even for like small amounts of CBD and skincare. I thought that was just yeah. for, wow. Yeah, wow. no, it's, that is so interesting. It's wild. Still to this day, we have to have like a, a third party credit card processing system and, and bank. I mean, at this point now we've gotten like, we have a really major bank on board, like one of the biggest ones, but like that took time because that's also, you know, when you don't have a brand and you're trying, trying to pitch an idea to a bank, they're like, uh, you know, so it, it, that all took time as well. But yeah, sourcing the CBD was was hard to I actually knew some people who were in the industry really early on so that was that was helpful that was kind of how I started using CBD and skincare in the first place and I was like this is changing my skin and it's not a gimmick when we started working on this there wasn't CBD in a lot of products it's funny because so much can change in 2 years right when we started working on the oil from like the day that we started working on the oil till the day that it launched, the CBD world was completely different. It was like in two products to where like everyone was trying to start a brand with CBD and it ruins the credibility of things, you know? And it's definitely it's saturated a little bit. Like, a little bit yeah. But. Was a little disheartening for me because I was like, I believe in this so much. Like I know the benefits of it. But when people try to exploit that and put it in things that don't even make sense, it makes consumers skeptical of everything. So I think at that point, it's really about like getting people to try your product and seeing the results. You can fool some people, right? But like you can't fool countless people who are like, this is changing my skin. Yeah, definitely. In terms of marketing, aside from, of course, like organic or in, in social, what has been the most, cause there's so many nuggets that you mentioned throughout, throughout this conversation of just things that you're like, wow, like she really knows what she's talking about for real. Like, how do you communicate that to, to your customers? Like me on a personal level or just from a brand, just from a brand standpoint. I mean, like you said, there's a bit of like a disassociation between, you know, yourself and the brand. So even just from the brand, how are you, how are you communicating this messaging? We've always, one of our, I think our like the core pillars of what we believed in as a brand was being very transparent. And especially when it comes to CBD, like if you go on our site and any of the, 
are products that do have CBD, you can get on there and you can see the certificate of analysis. It tells you exactly how much CBD is in the product that is like done by an accredited lab. So like you're not wondering, like, is this legit or not? We never cut any corners. There's so many ways to cut corners in the beauty industry. And we are like, we want to do this from scratch. So many times we went to manufacturers and we were like in the beginning and we were like, you know, we we have this idea. We want to create this. And they were like, oh, you can choose from some of our made formulas. And we were like, absolutely not. Like, no. And then, but then you see how many people do that and you're kind of like, wow. But I mean, I do feel like we've, you know, we've tried to tell that story and I do think that is, you know, why I love doing interviews or podcasts because people don't always know that. Although I do think like the modern consumer is becoming very much, you know, more interested and who's behind the brands they are looking at like who owns the brands they're supporting. What do those brands and those people stand for? Are they doing their part to be at least eco-conscious and health conscious? So I think consumers are doing their research into brands much more so than they did in the past. Yeah, definitely. Is there anything you'd go back and do differently? A lot of things. It's hard to say though, because even though now knowing things I know now, like I was like, oh, I wish we had this contact in the very beginning. We could have, they could have helped us with all this that took us a year to figure out. But then on the other flip side, it was like, they probably wouldn't have wanted to work with us because we didn't have any track record yet. Right. Yeah, of course. You know, of course, there's a lot that, that I wish I knew. I think the number one thing that I've learned with the feelist is I have a absolute newfound respect for founders and like the beauty health space. It is time. It is dedication. It is, I mean, if you're doing it really on your own proprietary formulas from the ground up, it is years of research and formulation and time and testing and dedication. And there is definitely a lot more long-term work that goes into skincare than in, you know, my swimwear brand, for example. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And I think, well, not for everyone, right? The people that are cutting corners uh, get around it. But for you, I I think that's amazing. And I think the brand's a a testament to that. So for my final question, what's next for you and The Feelist? Well, we are just, you know, planning our world domination. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I think you are, actually. (laughs) We had an incredible first year and a half. Our next goals are really to like expand internationally, move into retail with strategic partners. We have some amazing products and product development. And we're just kind of, we're in a place where we're doing a fundraise to support all this and, and to be able to grow successfully because what I've learned is you don't ever want to jump into anything too fast. It's easier to secure a big retail partnership than it is to make it successful. And big retailers can easily like spit up, a, like chew up, spit out a small brand real fast. If you don't have like Good the point. infrastructure and the funding in place to be successful and to support large scale launches. Yeah, I think so. That yeah, that's where we are. We're like, I, you know, I really feel like we're going from like step A, which is like kind of like the baby phase. Yeah. To, like, that be where, you know, where it's going to be a really legit company. 
yeah, I mean, it seems like everything you touch is successful. So I, I'm excited to see how, how you continue to build the brand. So for anyone listening who's not familiar with yourself and the feelist and same, where can I direct them? Well, you can find us on Instagram at Shay Marie, and then same is just at same. And then the feelist is at the feelist. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. Be sure to leave a review and subscribe to all future episodes. For show notes and resources mentioned, go to glamandgrow.co. This show is produced by Wavebreak. If you're an e-commerce marketing leader who wants to take your email and CRM program to the next level, schedule a call with me today at wavebreak.co. Thanks so much for listening.